Welcome to Begin Where You Are, a podcast from Covenant Presbyterian Church focused on discipleship. My name is John Wasson, and I get to serve as one of the pastors here. Begin Where You Are is the answer to a question that I get asked a lot. Uh, We're all searching for concrete ways to live out our faith, and and it's not always clear where we should begin. Uh, There are a lot of different entry points to the life of discipleship. So this podcast is an invitation to uh, begin where you are, and hopefully we can provide some resources and practices that are useful to you. Our first series is focused on the Bible. We're preaching our our way through the Bible this summer, and we've invited all of you to read along with us. And you can find resources as well as a reading schedule online at covenant.org slash stories dash of dash God. One of the resources we've provided is a roadmap with five signs to help you navigate the territory of Scripture. And uh, in each of our podcast episodes, we'll explore one of these signs. My guest today is Brian Wallace, actually the newly minted Dr. Brian Wallace, uh, who serves as the executive director of Fuller Formation. Um, Brian also is um, leading uh, our church through a formation process right now, um, which has just been incredible uh, for both the leadership and and people within our church. There's going to be more information about that forthcoming um, in the next year. Uh, So I've gotten to know Brian over the last year, and uh, I always learn a lot when we're together. And... uh, and so I invited Brian to come and talk to us about the Bible and um, help us understand a little bit about this this final uh, sign of our roadmap. So Brian, thanks for being with us. Yeah, thanks. Um, tell me tell me a little bit, actually, let's just start with a little bit about um, Fuller Formation. What What is that? As You serve as the director of it. What, is, what does that That's mean? That's right. Fuller Formation is a new center that we're developing at Fuller that's really our tagline is forming God's people to take their place in God's mission of the world. Our conviction and is that everyone has a, a, a place to play in what God's wanting to do uh, to extend his rule and reign in our communities, our families, our neighborhoods, our workplaces. And we have formation. Spiritual formation is the, the act of becoming formed in the image of God as he designed us so that we can take that place. Mm. So that's the work that we do. We work a lot on Spiritual practices with churches, pastors, artists, missionaries, mission cool. institutions, that kind of thing. Cool. And our church has benefited from his leadership and from this this new center that's developing at Fuller. And so we're uh, we're grateful for your work um, that you are doing. Um, Brian, as I mentioned to you, we are uh, in the process this summer of preaching through the entire Bible mm-hmm. um, and uh kind of listening to and paying attention to these different stories of God that, that we find there. And one of the resources that we've given to uh, our congregation is this roadmap for kind of understanding, um, actually navigating the territory of Scripture. It's Rowan Williams says that the, the Bible is the territory in which we expect to hear God speaking to us. Um, sometimes it's hard to navigate that territory. So we've given this roadmap, and there's five signs on this roadmap, and Um, The fifth sign reads uh, that Scripture calls the church to ongoing discernment. Because we live in the tension between the already and the not yet of the kingdom of God, we are called to constantly reinterpret the text 
in light of the Holy Spirit's ongoing work in the world. And uh, if I were to write this sign again, uh, I might say that Scripture calls the church to hopeful expectation, uh, a term that I learned from you. And so I want to talk a little bit about holy expect or hopeful expectation today and how that plays into the way that we read the Bible. Um, but first, I've started every one of these conversations the same way, which is <laughs> to ask uh, whether or not reading through the Bible in a 12-week time is even a good idea. And I have to tell you that everyone has kind of affirmed that this is a good idea. And I was hoping by asking this question that someone would say, this is a bad idea. Now, I don't know if you're going to say that or not, but, um, you know, I, I, I thought it would be a lot more controversial than apparently it is. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, what you hear that we're going to we're going to read the Bible in the whole summer. Is that like other landmines here? What? Well, I would say um, it is a good idea for some. Because it's really apt and fitting for their personality, their place in life, their stage in their family, and it's maybe a bad idea for some others. Now, it's a good idea for everyone to try Hmm. and then to embark on the journey and go, wait a minute, how do I need to adjust this practice based on what's going on in my life today, my life this week, uh, the argument I had with my spouse, the challenges I'm having sleeping, whatever those kinds of things are. Finding a way to embody spiritual practices like reading and prayer engaging with Jesus in the scripture, engage the practice, find out what you learn, try it. Um, one of the best things to do is to engage the scripture and fail at your goal to then learn, this is what really works for me right now. Now, the problem is the thing that might work for you today will stop working a week from now, two years from now, a decade from now. So we need to constantly adapt what we're doing with the scriptures. Hmm. And so what are those, I mean, what are different ways that you, you've adapted uh, as you've You know, read I've the come Bible? from a university Christian fellowship background. That was my whole life for 20 years, uh, 24 years, including being a college student. And in a university, we really value the scripture and teach everyone how to do an inductive Bible study. You know, it's mm. really good basic hermeneutics, teaching students how to ask good questions of the scripture. And by the way, learning how to ask good questions of the scripture is a great skill, and right. I think every Christian needs to learn how to do that. Yeah, um, It was true in my life, though, that this, this spiritual practice that gave so much life and energy to my relationship with Jesus and my relationships in the community and the church started getting a little stale in my late 20s, early 30s, and I thought the problem was me. Hey, what's happened to my faith? What's happened to my passion for Christ? And the truth is, the way that I was doing that was perfect for an 18 to 24-year-old spirituality, but I was trying to make it fit my 28 or 35-year-old life yeah, and my 35-year-old faith hmm. and my 35-year-old calling and mission in the world. And I needed to engage the scriptures in some new ways. So I started, uh, instead of reading small passages and dissecting them deeply— um, I started reading very large passages of Scripture and understanding their context. So I, I might, instead of reading Ephesians 1, 2 through 6, you know, three times in an inductive way in a week, I started reading the entire book of Ephesians every day for a week Wow! to get the whole context and just allow it to, the Holy Spirit to really lead me in understanding. I'm still working on applying it, still working on... Right. Um, 
and one of the practices for me was, and you've heard this probably, and you could probably articulate who said it first. I can't remember. But was instead of me pulling the Bible apart from me exegeting the scripture, I need to let the scripture exegete me. Yeah. I need to let those Bible start telling me who I was. Yeah. Telling me what my story was instead of me trying to dive in and in, in order the scripture into what I could understand it to be. Right. My faith got to a point where it was like, okay, I'm willing to let you tell me my story. Yeah. And that really gave a lot of structure to my faith and my reading of the scripture through my 30s. Right. And then I added some new scripture practices. Yeah. Um, I love what you're saying. You, you know, the um, it's funny, I'm actually just thinking about this, but the, 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 the title of this podcast is called Begin Where You Are. Hmm. Yeah. And I'm thinking now that, like, you actually probably are the inspiration for this. Hmm. I don't know if you remember this or not, but when we first met a couple of years ago, you were talking about, on ramps to the life of discipleship yeah. and entry points to the life of discipleship. That's and that right. it doesn't begin at the same place for every single person. Exactly. Um, and, and what you're saying even now is just try it out. Like, like it's going to change your, your relationship to this, to this practice of reading is going to change necessarily right. over time. Um, so begin kind of where you are. I mean, that's kind of beginning where you are is like, Start there. Exactly. Believing that Christ actually meets us where we are. Exactly. Um, the, the way I would put it, you know, I was a spiritual formation pastor for a church of 4,000 people. And one of the things I became quickly aware of is the correct next step spiritually in growth was as unique as 4,000 people. It was a unique step for all four, all 4,000. And there's no way I could help each person take that unique next step by a church program or an initiative. Right. Like start here and exactly. finish here. Exactly. And right. everyone's going to finish at the same place. And then we have this outcome that we can all measure. That, that's just not the way it works. At the same time, I could say there are certain things that are really important for all 4,000 of us to know how to do, know how to be and engage in physically, emotionally, spiritually in our family that if I don't know that one, I got I got to go backwards and learn how to do that. Yeah, I would say inductive Bible study is one of those. Learning yeah. how to ask great questions of the Scripture, to study the Scripture, to learn the Scripture is a really important practice. Um, so, learning to read the whole of the text is maybe another one of those. Yeah, is that the right spiritual practice this summer for every person in your church? Probably not. Right. But if they don't have any scripture practice, is a great place to start. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I'm aware of is, especially in Scripture, even though there's a lots of different next steps, they could probably be broken down into maybe three categories. If you're a young or brand new believer, there's some things you just have to learn and that you can only learn by helping someone give you a practice like, hey, read your Bible. Let me give you right. this part of this practice. And you can start there and then start learning the scales and the rudiments of that. And then as you mature, you can start what I, it's, I like, you can start playing jazz with those rudiments. Right. You can make them your own, make them personal to you to re reflect your family, to reflect your personality, reflect some of your passions. Hmm. Use those in your pursuit of Jesus and in your relationship with Christ and your engagement with Scripture and your engagement in prayer. But if for some of the folks in the church might be, they've been walking with Christ for a little while, they have real passion and energy, there are some other elements of spiritual practice that they're going to need in order to hold their passion, in order to uh, learn how to engage the, the mission that God's given them to do. You know, 
often in that stage, we need to learn how to share our faith. We need to learn how to um, embody the, the image of Christ in a workplace without being annoying. <laughs> or, <laughs> or without simply putting a Bible on my desk or yeah. a cross and hoping somebody asks me. Yeah, work right. is not just the landscape upon right. which you evangelize. Exactly. It, the work itself is um, a way that you lead, exactly. lead others to flourishing. And yeah. that's the stage where we need to learn about how do I lead in the context of the church? How do I lead in the context of my neighborhood? Um, hmm. all, all those. And then there's a longer stage. I've been People who've been walking with Jesus 15, 20, 30, 40 years, and you have those really faithful saints in this congregation. What does it look like for them to learn how to invest in others, disciple others, mentor others, provide yeah. spiritual direction to others, or maybe even the spiritual practice of making way for others, Yeah, which is all of it's necessary. So it seems like even among those three categories that you've kind of laid out here, though, that hopeful expectation should, <laughs> should be something that they should all have, right? Yeah, and right. maybe it's hardest for that third category that's read the story a thousand times right. to stop expecting stop hoping that they would have an encounter with yeah. God in the reading of that text. That's so right. let's talk a little bit about this, what hopeful expectation is. You're, you've just completed your dissertation at Fuller Seminary, um, and I want to make sure that I, I title it right. It was Flourishing in Christian Mi- Mission, Spiritual Practices that Cultivate Well-Being. Yes. Um, and tell us a little bit about that dissertation. I mean, I, I really don't want to, you ha- you'd have to like turn it into a talking point, but tell us about no. some of that research and how hopeful expectation kind of grew out of that. Yeah. So um, it might be helpful to know that I started the dissertation really out of two questions. One was, you know, I had lots of missionaries and pastors from around the country and around the world come to me saying, how do I keep going? How do I keep growing? How do I survive? Those are the, often it was about survival. How do I keep my marriage? How do I um, can, can keep my faith? in the midst of this mission, in the midst of this pastoral ministry. And so I wanted to ask the question, is there, is there an intersection between flourishing or well-being in that place and spiritual practices? Hmm. And the second question I was really dealing with was very personal. What about my own life? You know, what can I expect out of life? What does it mean to flourish? What can I hope for my own life as a pastor, as a missionary? Those are the two vocations I've had uh, all my life. Hmm. So what, what, what are the expectations I can have for myself? And so part of it is I needed to dive into the scripture and understand, essentially I ended up doing a biblical anthropology. What are we designed for? If we're designed for that, that's the space in which we're supposed to flourish, that we can't flourish outside God's design for who we are. And so we identified that flourishing is the intersection of those three environments that we're all made for. We're made to be in relationship with God. We're made to be part of God's people, and we're made to participate in God's uh, work in the world that is for the common good, hmm. a- as well as for his kingdom, for mm-hmm. the advancement, the, his rule and reign. And where God's rule and reign happens, there's less illiteracy, less pain, less murder, less because God's, God brings a common good. Right. To all the people. So what are the the question marks? Is hopefully sometimes there's been things <laughs> identified as the kingdom of God that has has not brought those things. And right? you can and question whether those were the kingdom. Right. 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 And you <laughs> so, have to say mm. exactly. <laughs> there there can be more church and not as much kingdom. Yeah, which is really a perplexing thing, and perhaps Dangerous. perhaps a uh, a topic for another podcast. Exactly. Yeah. Um, 
Sorry, I broke up your train of thought. No, 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 it's okay. So the, the, the question became for me, what, is it, what does flourishing look like? And so f- for me and my model, the, this model had to be able to be applied to Jesus or it wasn't valid. So how does a model <laughs> of flourishing embody the p- potential and, pot- and maybe even the reality expectation of suffering? Because mm-hmm. Jesus said, if they hate me, they're going to hate you. Yeah. If they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. So at some point, we have to recognize that there's going to be some suffering. Death rates 100%. So how do I right. flourish as a Christian knowing this, this body is going to fail? And right. there's going to bring suffering either to my life or to the people who love me. Right. Assuming people love me. Yeah. <laughs> some do. Amen. <laughs> and so, um, so it wasn't like a picture of how do we make my life the best it can be. It's not my best life now. Right. It's how do I inhabit the... <laughs> exactly. How do I inhabit the spaces God designed me to inhabit? And he, he longs for me to be united to him. I, you know, I stole a phrase from Daryl Johnson in his little book on the Trinity, to, to become a co-lover of God with God. That God is a relationship of Father, Son, and Spirit who are in mutual love and service to one another. And he invites me into that. That's what it means to become a Christian, is to enter into this co-love that God has with him to mm. experience the joy and the power the goodness of that but then and to enter into the community of people people who are very much like god but not god we need other people who know what it's like to be in the image of god but not god yeah yeah i think you said at one point i remember you saying something like to follow jesus means to follow jesus with everyone else jesus invites exactly <laughs> there's no there's there's no one who's ever been invited to follow jesus alone right and to be in, invited to be with Christ is simultaneously an invitation to be with everyone else he invited. Right. Which is the hard part. Oh, totally. <laughs> you didn't, you're not in charge of the guest list. No, exactly right. It's like getting, a, getting one of those um, like email guest lists and like looking through it and being like, <laughs> oh, man, I would have made some edits here right. if I could have. Um, exactly. Sorry, I've, I've so let what us I off did, track again. So what I did is uh, looked through these idea of what really is flourishing in a biblical context from Old Testament to New Testament. And I ended up creating a survey that could help me identify exemplars of that model. Hmm. And I gave it to lots of Christian mission leaders in InterVarsity Christian Fellowship and International Justice Mission. Hmm. Um, and so I found those exemplars and I just did a lot of interviewing about what their spiritual practices were. And so... Um, I found that there were really four practices that were there, and they really develop and have informed what we do in a formation group that we're doing here with Covenant. They are regular retreats. Uh, Just as a little aside, one of the reasons that I'm noticing that, especially in this day and age, retreats are so important is because there's so much noise in our life that in order to flourish as a Christian, not just a Christian leader, we need to have moments where we silence our family, silence our phone, silence the television, silence our work, and to be in a place where we can attend to ourself and attend to God. Yeah. Um, Hopefully there's that space every day, you know, but it's different now in our generation than it was 150 years ago. Yeah. Because most of of us lived 150 years ago in a rural community, and there was silence as a part of our rhythm. Yeah, all the time. Every single day. Right. Um, Now there's no silence. Yeah. There's no place that we can be alone. Right. Or rest. Right. Um, we're the most sleep-deprived generation that ever existed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm the worst, by yeah. the way. I'm the worst at that. Yeah. Uh, so retreat becomes a really, a praxis that is, for our generation, really critical. The other was um, 
spirit, there are some spiritual practices that all revolved around scripture and prayer, some form of scripture and some form of prayer. But what came out of those awareness of those practice wasn't the specific practices that they did. And that's kind of what I expected. Yeah. But was that there was those specific practices were driven by two other important things. One was that they were always driven by community, Hmm. that these people were engaging in scripture and engaging in prayer in a way that was being driven by the people with whom they inhabited their faith. Hmm. Now, it doesn't mean they always studied the scripture together. Right. But they said, no, my people, we are doing this together. Right. And that's the good thing about your church all reading the Bible. It's like, hey, my church is reading the Bible. Right. This is providing a great power that's more than just accountability. It's just like, no, I'm part of a people. Yeah. That does this together. Yeah, we think this is a priority, big deal. And the good news is some of the folks in your church know why it's a value and they can articulate it, and that's good too. And some are going to like, because my church is doing this. Yeah. And the good news is they're getting the same benefit. Right, that's okay. And so that's the great thing about being part of a, a historic church that moves through time is that we're stepping into these practices that have been inhabited by our, by my people hmm. for a long time. Hmm. And so the, they were communally driven, and they were adapted. And so what I mean by adapted is no one described doing practices the same way all the time. Yeah. They, they would say phrases like, well, I used to, but now, mm-hmm. um, about prayer. Or I, a long time ago, I used this practice, but now I brought it back here later in my life. They all talked about how they adapted practices, not only just use some of them at certain times and phases of their life, or they would take a classic practice and change it for their life or their personality. Hmm. Make sense? Yeah. So instead of just straight up Lectio Divina, they were like, oh, I, I use that differently with my family. We do a, right. a mini Lectio Divina at bedtime with my kids. Right. Or we do a mini Lectio Divina at the dinner table in the evenings. And this connects back to what you, we were saying earlier in that, like, the same practices are not going to be uh, appropriate necessarily at every part of your life. I mean, exactly. we're in different seasons. We we need different support, different uh, intentionality. Um, right. So, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. And so these people live with a sense that there wasn't only one way to engage the scripture, one way to, there wasn't the right way. Yeah. They were like, had the freedom to try new things and right. let their own personality and their own family dictate, what do devotions look like for us? Right. What's success mean for us in prayer? Right. Well, if we get two minutes to pray before the kids scream, win. <laughs> and so they right. were living that reality with preschoolers or with elementary kids or with an autistic child or a, a, a child with Down syndrome. Or they were living the reality they had and inviting Jesus into it. But more importantly, Jesus was inviting their family reality into his life. Right. So they're figuring it out. Right. So, um, the, the, so there's regular retreats, regular practices that were communal adapted. And the, the third one was that all of them had what's what I would call a regular group. And this would be worth a conversation by itself. But the regular group was described fundamentally as the place they were the most authentic in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, where one one woman said, for, for a bunch of Christian women in ministry, it's amazing how many curse words get said. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't that they were giving each other license to, yeah. for impurity, but they were saying yeah. they're giving license to be truthful yeah. about their faith, or about their marriage, or about their kids. Yeah. Like, um, they would say things. This is the place where I can say I don't like my kids. Yeah, they I'm still gonna... they still love Jesus. They just like to cuss a little bit. <laughs> or they need someone who can say, 
you don't have to be a professional Christian today. Yeah. You can be an authentic follower of Jesus who doesn't have it all figured out. Right. And now we're going to trust you to be God's woman or God's man to go lead this community. Yeah. And we're going to hold you accountable to it. Yeah. So it wasn't this license to not live into their personality or live into the mission God gave them. But it was all that place is like, these are the people carrying me through cancer. These are the people carrying me through my doubt. These are the people carrying me through this rough patch in my marriage. Um, hmm. They, it, it, and or these are people just praying for me. And sometimes I wonder if I really value this group, but I'm going to keep showing up. And so that was a real important part of their life. Now, one of the greater sorrows for me is the people that I studied almost never was that group in their church. Hmm. And I would love to see that change. Yeah. That the place where the people can be the most authentic, the right. most raw, the most true about their relationship with Jesus was are the people they're co-inhabiting their faith with in the context of a local church. Did they ever give reasons why that we can learn from in that? Like, uh, I mean, I, I have my own assumptions about, like, I mean, yeah. I, I could answer that, that question for myself, but I'm wondering. Now, the scope of my study, I didn't dive into that. Yeah. It would be really worth learning. Yeah. One of the things we have to recognize is everyone I studied was in full-time Christian mission. Right. And so there is a barrier sometimes for the professional Christian right. who the people in their life and community expect them to not have doubts. Right. And to some degree, would it be valuable or important, say, for Thomas to get in the pulpit and go, man, I'm really wrestling with <laughs> Beth these days. Yeah. Or you just know? like, man, I don't know. <laughs> exactly. Word of the Lord. <laughs> exactly. What do you guys think? And so not that he's faking it right. when a pastor has struggles or doubts at all. But it's loving choice yeah. to not expose those challenges to those who can't. So it's similar to when Paul says, um, you know, understand the weaker brother. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, Thomas with a, a number of other people who don't doubt that his faith is true and strong and really mature and is actually going to have legs beyond most. He's going to finish well, but can also allow him to go, man, I'm struggling. Yeah. Or am I really called? Yeah. I don't, by the way, I'll, I'll be honest, I've never met a pastor who's let me into their life and heart, and there's hundreds of them, who hasn't wondered if they're really called. Yeah. And that doubt is part of one of the reasons I'm like, that's why I know for sure you're right. called. Right, right. Because you're wrestling with it. It's a live question. It's not driven by your need to be a pastor. It's not driven by your need for people to respect you. It's like, really, God? Do you really? Yeah, I don't know. Right the there's a there's a corollary here that i i often will use stanley harawas in his memoir says not everyone has to become a theologian to be a christian but i did i probably did <laughs> and yes. i mean his 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 christian identity is so tied to his theological vocation yes. and i think that there i don't know if that's true for many pastors it's true for me yes that once i once i came to a place where um i couldn't be but a christian uh, like i i th- I was called to this. Yes. I didn't, I'm not creating it. I was called to it. God yes. called me to it. In the same way, I discovered that my vocation to be a Christian in the world with integrity meant to live in and out, not live into that calling. Yes. Um, and that's a diversion. I apologize for my no, no expectation. We're moving in that direction, I yeah. promise. But hopefully, um, hopefully, that this group, you know, so regular retreats, regular practices, communally and adapted, and then this regular group. Mm-hmm. These, these are those practices, those were the core spiritual practices that were in people's lives. That led to well-being in their lives. That led to well-being. Yeah. Um, 
And so that's what my whole dissertation is written about. But one of the things that I observed in these people that I couldn't I, label a practice, it wasn't something that they did, but it was something that accompanied their practice, was this thing I call hopeful expectation. And the only way I can describe it is that every time they open the Bible, and they would use this kind of language, when I open the Bible, I, um, I, I do it with the sense that God's going to speak to me. I go to this retreat and engage with other people uh, with this expectation or this sense that God's going to open his heart to me. And yeah. He's going to speak to me. He's going to comfort me. He's going to lead me. He's going to guide me. Yeah. When I pray, it's because I know God's there. Yeah. And he, and he wants to be with me. Now, when I say hopeful expectation, it's just this, I'm engaging with this because God is prior. He's both primary and prior. He's already there. And I'm not doing anything to get God to like me by praying or reading or engaging my practice. Right. He's prior, so I'm just stepping into what he's doing. Right. And so the only language I could have for that was this sense of hopeful expectation. Yeah. It's on one level, it's what faith is. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna engage in prayer because God is who he is. And so he's going to show up into my life based on his pre-existence and his creation of me yeah. and his radical, amazing, I don't get it choice to pick me to be his son. Right. But it, but I'm going to engage all these spiritual practices with that assumption. Yeah. Um, it, but it's more than just faith. It's I'm engaging this practice because God is who he says he is. And he wants to speak to me through his word. And he's going to challenge me. He's going to comfort me. He's going to lead me. He's going to um, convict me. I'm going to, there's something alive that's going to happen by his spirit as I open the scriptures. Right. When I pray, the same thing's going to happen when I gather in community, when I go to church. Right. Something's, the God of the universe is going to break through and do something in my life. Right. So it's not that I expect God to jump through my hoops and do it when and how I want. Right. But it's... That would just be expectation. Exactly. Just expectation. <laughs> Um, but it is a sense of expectancy that God is going to be who he says he is. Yeah, where two or three are gathered, I'm going to be, I'm right. going to be there. Right. Um, so when Jesus in John 14 said, hey, look, I'm leaving so I can give you something better. And I can imagine if I'm one of the disciples, I'm like, what's better than right. you next to us? Why would you go away? Right. Um, yeah, they fought that pretty hard. The God of the universe is sitting next to me. We're finally figuring out who you are, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> Kinda. Kind of. They're getting there closer. Right. Um, and this now is, you're leaving? This is the same context that he said, I'm going to, essentially, like, he's talking about his death. Yes. Where I'm going, you can't come. Right. And they're like, no, no, we're going. And coming. he starts the whole di dialectic with, don't let your heart be troubled. Right. Trust me. Trust the Father. And where I'm going, we're gonna, my Father has many rooms. Right. And so he's, he's painting this expectation you can hope for. That is both now and not yet. And then he's saying, but for the now, I'm leaving so I can give you something better in the now. What's better than Jesus in the now? Well, it's the third person of the Trinity, not just next to me, but inhabiting me, being with me. And he said, look, the Spirit is going to instruct you, and remind you, and comfort you. And so it's this, uh, not, God, you're going to jump through my hope, hoops and always speak to me how and when I want. Right. But you are going to be with me just like you promised. Right. You're going to be loving just like you ex 
said you are in the scriptures. You're going to be holy, just like you've demonstrated all the way from page one to the last page. Hmm. You're going to be a father, a good father, a perfect father. So I can have not this expectancy that this is what it means for you to be a father, but I can have this hopeful expectation that you're going to respond to me like a good father would respond to his children. Mm-hmm. So when I ask you for bread, you're not going to give me a scorpion. Right. When I ask you to lead and guide me, it may be some time. It may not be when I want. It might be not even the guidance that I anticipated, but you are leading. You are guiding. And so this, this, it gave this energy to their spiritual practice. Yeah. That says God is loving and he's real and he's true. And this is who he says he is. And I'm going to live on that reality. I'm going to expect that. I'm going to expect him to be who he is. Yeah. Um, based on how he described he, who he is through yeah. the scripture. So what I what I think is, if I were to connect this even to a, a one of our other podcasts, actually a couple of our other podcasts, which you, were, you weren't privy to, um, but this <laughs> idea that, that, what I love about this is that scripture is both a play, I mean, we have to kind of employ hopeful expectation, we have to use it, but scripture also cultivates yes. it, it within us, right? Yeah. So it acts back on, on us. Right. So whenever we use, when we ever read scripture, what we're, what we're um, perfecting, if I can use that kind of word, it's m- more Methodist speech, um, or, or cultivating is the virtue of hope. Yes. That God, God yeah. might show up here, that the word of, the, uh, of God might speak yes. to me in my, in my life now. Yeah. Um, I think of, I think of, um, the resurrection as God's response to sin and death, mm-hmm. and like Jesus dies, and yeah. and God's response to that is, I'm going to raise I'm going to raise Jesus from the dead, mm-hmm. as something we can expect when we go to the scriptures that yeah. like God might raise us from the death in our own lives yeah. and, and the, the sin and death in our own lives. So it'd be interesting. I I think there is our ways there is way our ways of cultivating hopeful expectation, and let me put it in the most seminary context and then try to deconstruct that um eugene peterson says that nothing enervates prayer more than a wrong view of god Hmm. nothing kills our prayer life more than believing that god is not who he really is Hmm. if he's angry if he's a taskmaster if he expects my holiness and purity before he'll be present to me as a father or creator, or allowing me to be a co-creator with him, then that's going to kill my prayer life because I can never live up to this expectation that he has of me. Right. So it will enervate. It'll suck all the energy and wind out of it. So one of the ways we cultivate hopeful expectation is having a really a right view of God, mm-hmm. having good theology. Who? What is the nature of God? What does it mean that he's loving? What does it mean that he's present? What does it mean that he's wants to be a father? What are, why is it important for us to understand that the son talks about God like the father? Yeah. And that's his primary language and primary relationship he hands off to us as we become Christians. Hmm. Let me tell you how to pray. Abba. Talk to God like dad. Not to diminish him like daddy. I'm not, sh- I'm not saying that kind of... No, but it's a personal, it's personal language, right? He's handing off to us. I want you to think not of this far away God that must be appeased, but talk, talk about him like father. Yeah. Who's loving and present and good and right in your life. So um, to cultivate hopeful expectation is to think rightly about who God is. 
is just is to um, James Brian Smith would say what we need to do is have the narrative of God that Jesus had of God. Yeah. We need to talk about God and think about the story of God the way Jesus inhabited the story of God. Mm. Um, not the way that maybe I learned that was designed to control my behavior as a child that was really driven by shame and guilt born out of the pietistic movement in, yeah. the, in the United States. So how do we live into this new awareness of who God really is? And it's nothing new. He's been explaining who he is all along. And those with eyes to see and ears to hear um, really have gotten it right. And there, there are guides into it. Yeah. Who said, no, this is who God really is. Yeah. He's more loving than you could ever imagine. He's more yeah. powerful and more persevering and patient. You can't out his love. You can't out, out uh, ignore his grace and mercy. He's going to keep pursuing you, keep right. loving you. And when we have a view of God that is rightly gr- driven to us by the scripture, it's we, we are now energized by hope that, oh, if that's who he is, yeah. I can tell him how ashamed I am right now. I can tell him, I can confess my sin with this, without fear that he's going to kick me out. Yeah. Because good fathers don't kick the kids out. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I'm reminded of when we say that Jesus reveals who God is to us, yeah. what we're saying is if you can't say it about Jesus, you can't say it about God. Yes. Um, and I, I think that that should energize some hope within us. Right. Um, so, Brian, thanks for being with us yeah. today. Um, I'm always, I always learn a lot from you. And, um, and I hope that we can carry this this virtue of hopeful expectation to our reading of the text, mm. um, that God may might say something to us and in that speech act to transform our lives from Amen. from death to life. So um, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. It's really fun. That's all for this episode. Thanks for joining us. If you're listening and you have questions along the way, either about something you're reading in the Bible or about content from this podcast, you can email those questions to beginwhereyouare at covenant.org. And make sure to subscribe on iTunes if you haven't yet. Thanks for listening.